0: Lord we thank you for this wonderful season where we have the opportunity to see you in new ways revealed ways which I pray we will give ourselves to and see you in a new way refreshing in the God for who you are and so Lord give us eyes to see ears to hear hearts to receive, all for your glory this epiphany season. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we made it through all 12 days of Christmas. I hope you filled all 12 days celebrating. I know I did. And yesterday was the Feast of the Epiphany, where we remind ourselves that this gospel is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles, as As the Magi came and visited Jesus, not as a baby, I love our new creche, don't you? It's gorgeous. Um, But that's a Christmas manger scene, and the wise men probably weren't there, but that's all right. It's not a sin. It's beautiful. But uh, that's what we celebrate yesterday. And so the first Sunday after the Epiphany is where we have the baptism of our Lord, where there are some years we have we baptize new believers or babies. This year we will just renew our faith together and our covenant because it's a feast day. Like my kids say, why are you Anglicans always feasting? Because we're renewed people and you ought to be one too. And so Kimmy and I were taking down our Christmas decorations yesterday. And I was reminiscing of all the great things that went on in December and the 12 days. And I got to confess, of of all the movies that I saw, the one scene that stood out among all of them to me this year, I don't know why, it just did, was the scene in White Christmas where Danny Kaye and Vera Ellen are in Novello's nightclub down in Florida and they just start dancing. And they bust out into that wonderful song. The best things happen while you're dancing. Right? Right? And they start dancing, and they make it look absolutely effortless. And now I got news for you. Uh, none of us can dance like that. They were, it's just an amazing scene. So I encourage you to see it next year. You can watch it today if you want. It's a wonderful thing. The best things happen while you're dancing. And I started to think of all the great dance songs that I know. Gotta Dance by Gene Kelly. You Should Be Dancing by the Bee Gees. in the Gang, Get Down On It. Remember that one, 1981? How are you gonna do it if you really don't know how to dance? If you're standing on the wall, get your back down off the wall, you know? It's awesome. Dance the Night Away by Van Halen. Lionel Richie's Dancing on the Ceiling. If you were at Rebecca and George's wedding, you know the party really didn't begin until Walk the Moon's Shut Up and Dance played. Why do I mention dancing? C.S. Lewis said... In Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost kind of drama, almost, if you will not think of me as irreverent, a kind of dance. I invite you, friends, to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And as we do so, we're going to see reality. Because that's what this is. This is reality. See, reality is on our side, brothers and sisters. And when you meet the real Jesus, you do walk away changed. We learned during Christmas and Advent, you know, we, we, we talked about everybody wants to, to relate to Jesus or talk about Jesus, but we all want to do it on our own terms. And the problem with that is when you have a Jesus that you make up or a Jesus that you create, um, a Jesus that fits in with you, what you like, you have a Jesus who won't challenge you. You have a Jesus who will never contradict you and can't, therefore, really ever transform your life. If you want a Jesus that can transform you, you have to find a Jesus with his own reality, a, a Jesus you don't make up, a Jesus who comes to us, and that's what we have here this morning. And so what we're going to see, not only this morning, but all throughout Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, is the real Jesus. I mean, it'll be a life-transforming journey if we'll give ourselves to it. What we discover here is the reality of the dance, our need to get into the dance and get get on the floor of the dance. And three, Jesus Christ is the one who can get us into the dance. Let's look at this. Mark introduces this text in a striking way. There's so much in these verses. Just looking at verses 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. You, with you, I am well pleased. For Mark to write of the Holy Spirit in this way is rare in the ancient world. We are, we're familiar with this. We're used to it. You know, All, all the other Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, all write about this. But what Mark is doing, he's getting us back to Genesis 1. In Genesis, in the Targums, in the ancient sacred Jewish writing, the Targums, the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew scriptures that the Jews read in Mark's age, it says in Genesis 1:2, the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. That could also be translated, the Holy Spirit fluttered over the waters. So in the Targums, it could be also translated, the Holy Spirit fluttered over the face of the waters like a dove, And God spoke and said, let there be light. So we see in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 parties are active in creation. You have God, the Father, God's Spirit, and God's Word through which he creates. So Mark here, in a rare way in the ancient world, is being deliberate in pointing the reader back to creation. So just as the task of creation in the world was the task of the triune God, so too is the redemption of the world. The rescue, renewal of all things that begins now with the arrival of the king is the task of the triune God. That's what Mark's trying to communicate here. And when Jesus comes up out of the water, the Father speaks, this Spirit descends upon him in power this is what's been happening since before time ever began mark is giving us a glimpse into the very heart of reality the very meaning of life the essence of the universe that the god who is father and his son and the holy spirit they glorify one another jesus spoke about this in john 17 I glorified you, Father, on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, each person of the Trinity glorifies the other. You see, you glorify something when you find it beautiful for what it is in itself. I took music appreciation as a freshman in college, You had to sign up for an art class. Have any of you ever seen my handwriting? (laughs) It is illegible. I'm sorry, forgive me. But I come by it naturally, you know? But I like music, so I signed up for music appreciation. And I liked the class, and I worked hard, and I got an A. And I found and I discovered I really do like Mozart's 40th Symphony in G minor. And every year when the Cleveland Orchestra pulls out their schedule for the year, I look to see if they're going to play that. Because you know what? I'll pay money to hear that. I just hope they don't play it too fast. Sometimes orchestras play it really fast. (laughs) (laughs) Stop. Slow down. Let me drink this in. So I hope. But in 1980, I took that just to get a degree. Today, I'll pay good money to hear the beauty Of Mozart. Because it's beautiful in itself and it's no longer a means to an end for me. Now, when it's a person you see that way that you find beautiful, you want to serve them unconditionally. And you see, this matters immensely to us. For what we see here in the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is they are. Truly serving one another. As the Father speaks, this is my beloved Son. In you, I am well pleased. The Father. You see, a self-centered life is a stationary life. It's a static life. It's a, not a dynamic life. It just it wants every person to revolve around them, to orbit them. You might give to the poor as long as it makes you feel good about yourself and it doesn't cut too much into your lifestyle. You might help people. You might have friends. You might fall in love, as long as they're those compromising your individual interests and what you make you happy. Self-centeredness, therefore, makes everything else a means to an end, and in the end, a non-negotiable is what I want and what I like, my interests over theirs. I'll play as long as everything revolves around me. But the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Godhead, is utterly different. Instead of self-centeredness, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are characterized in their very essence by mutually self-giving love. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each person of the Godhead, does not insist any of the others revolve around them but rather they center on one another. They glorify one another. They adore one another. They serve one another. They defer to one another. They put the other's interests in front of their own. Which means every one of them voluntarily goes out of the circle to orbit around the others. You see, instead of everyone saying, no, you orbit around me, the Trinity says, my life for yours. In the Godhead. Imagine going to a dance and there's no partners. There's just a p- bunch of people out on the floor. You know, doing their own thing. Just individuals. They're up there, but there's not much to watch. It sure ain't white Christmas. But when you have the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, each one is moving out toward the other instead of making the other come to them. Orbiting around the other, insisting that the others, instead of the others revolving around them what you have in the words of cs lewis is a dance it's dynamic pulsating it's the ultimate reality it has been that way from all eternity if that's the god of may who made the universe see how important this is you, you, if you were making up a religion you wouldn't make up the trinity you know, L. Ron Hubbard made up Scientology. You know that, right? He just wanted to make some money. So he made up Scientology. No, to me, this is one of the strongest evidence that nobody made up Christianity because if you were making up a God, doctrine of God, you wouldn't make this up. This is reality. What do you think the solar system is? Where do you think the stars and planets wheeling around are? What do you think the sea is flowing back and forth? What do you think The seasons are. They're all just a reflection of the creator God. God is not an individual. He's a community, and there's a dance within that community. So secondly, we need to get into this dance and get on the floor. As C.S. Lewis says, in other words, in your relationships, you were made for mutually self-giving love, not self-centeredness. Because if we live that your life from mine attitude, we're like all those people on the dance floor, and there's no recognizable dance going on, and that's the world we have, right? Why would God create a world like this? Well, think about it. If, if God were a unipersonal God, you might say he's creating the world so we can have beings who will give him worshipful love. But in reality, he already has that within himself. He has it far better, in a far better form, a more pure form, and a more powerful form than we could ever give to him. So if he were a unipersonal God, he might be creating a world in order to get joy and happiness and glorifying love. But he already has that. So why would he create us? The answer is, and there really is only one answer, He must have created us not to get to, but to give us joy. He must have created us to get us into the dance, to invite us in and say, if you will glorify me, if you'll center your life on me, if you will find me beautiful for who I am and myself, come into the dance. That's what I made you for. You were made not just to believe in me in some general way and not just to be spiritual in some general way, not to get a little bit of inspiration in some general way, not just to pray in some general way, not just to have some cognitive belief, but you were made to center everything in your life around me, to think of everything in terms of your relationship with me, to obey me unconditionally. That's what you're made for. Are you in the dance? Or are you just believing in God in some general way? Are you in the dance, or do you just pray to him every so often when you're in trouble? Life is a dance, brothers and sisters. And we need to be more than anything else in this divine dance that we're made for. And I know this is kind of mind-blowing when you think of the Trinity this way. Whole books have been written on the Trinity, and you still come out a little confused. It's, it's, it's somewhat mysterious. And when you really look at making Jesus Lord of life, it's, it's totally natural to be a little afraid. It was funny. I was at Christchurch Greensburg leading a Bible study with about 12 kids on a Sunday school class, and we, we got to the end of the study, and it had a place where you would sign your name. And here were the questions you had to affirm. I promise to obey everything God says, whether I like it or not. And secondly, I promise to thank God for everything he sends into my life, whether I like it or not. And I looked at those kids and I said, Unless you're a fool, that is the most frightening page you could possibly confront of this whole study. Right? Remember, we taught at Christmas Eve. There's only two reactions to Jesus that we see in the Bible. Only two. Number one, you run to Jesus to look at his beauty, gaze at who he is, or bow down and worship him like the wise men. Or you run away in fear or anger, or you want to kill him. We live in a culture where many who name the name of Christ confess that they're Christians, but don't respond anyway. They respond kind of meh. Yeah. That's, that's no response at all. No, it, it's, it's a scary thing. But instead of standing stationary and idling in your faith with a meh faith, say, oh, God, well, I'll pray to you, you know, I'll come to church. I'll do some things if you give me health and you give me what I want and all the things that I want. No, God says, get on the floor. And Jesus says, I can get you there. That's third. Christ is the reality that gets us into the dance. Now, remember what I said earlier, Mark is restating whole salvation history by hearkening back to creation. You go back to Genesis, and after the Spirit moves across the face of the water, God speaks things into being, right? And history is being launched. And here we have Jesus' whole ministry being launched at the baptism in the Garden of Eden. And notice what John says. He says in verse 7, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He is utterly holy. And this is the one God says, this is my son. With you I am well pleased. So you look at this moment, and we're going we're to talk about it in a couple weeks. And immediately in Mark, he goes off into the wilderness and is tempted for 40 days. He goes into suffering. See, at that point, Jesus moves out to each and every one of us. We move toward Him in repentance and faith. And again, God moves around you and says, He delights in you to live a life just like you have lived. With all the pain, all the suffering, all the hurts, He knows. He delights in you, you're precious to Him. You're beautiful to him as a gorgeous bride is to his, to his groom. That's what the Bible says over and over again. And it's from there we start to walk with him, obey him, live life out of the assurance of his love. It's a dance. <laughs> and you know, sometimes when you pray, the very thing happens to Christians that happen to Jesus, life gets difficult. And the word reminds us, Romans 8:16, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Romans 5 says the love of Jesus Christ is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit even when troubles come. And what this means is sometimes when we're in trouble and we pray, it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes we will hear in the depths of our being, you are my beloved child. With you I am well pleased. See, you can't survive without being part of this dance. Really. You'll die if you're not part of this dance. Really. So what does this all mean? Well, I think practically this means three things. First, you're never really gonna come to grips with a God like this in isolation. We need one another, brothers and sisters. You have to be in a community. It's more than just coming to church and getting a donut and some coffee and uh, you know, getting the blessings from the music Julian leads us in and the teaching and getting communion unless you're part of a community of people who are showing Christ to one another. How in the world can you know a God who is a community except in a community, really in a community, doing life together? All of our little churches are picking up over the next few weeks. I know not everybody's able to, but most of us are. Come get in one. Secondly, I think it's the important thing that this... Passage teaches us that we must be people of thanksgiving and praise regardless of our circumstances. Make sure your prayer life is filled with thanksgiving and praise and not just your list of things you need. If the Bible is right, and creation and redemption are the result of a community of beings who have so much joy and mutually self-giving love that creation is then the result. And basically, you realize we were all rejoiced into being. Praise and joy are what life is all about, even in the tough times. And if you're willing to learn how to praise God and enjoy God and adore God for who he is and what he's done for you and what he's done in you, you may find, instead of moving out into the world, always griping about everything, always finding fault with others, always complaining about everything that's going on in your life, you actually become a thankful and praising person that people would like to be around. C.S. Lewis said, Praise is inner health made audible. Let me repeat that. Praise is inner health made audible. We surrender our life to Jesus even if it's going to bring us problems at times. Third, we recognize his empathy for us. Because he experienced everything we've been through. He knows pain and suffering. In the Trinity, God knows what it's like to lose a loved one. And as Christmas has taught us, he is with us. So no matter what 2024 holds, brothers and sisters, God is with us. Live in community. Let's praise him at all times. And let's obey him unconditionally. Let's dance. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this incredible vision of who you are and what we are called to be and what the universe is all about. We are so grateful that this means if we embrace you as Lord, in the future, there will be nothing but joy. This world is headed for a party. It's headed for a a great feast. It's headed for love. It's headed for fellowship with you forever. We're not, as the world teaches us, going to lose our individuality and drop off into some impersonal all-soul. We're not, when we die, simply going to rot and go to nothing. No, we're headed for this, the interior life of the triune God. And we thank you for that, and we ask you that you would help us to live in accordance with this ultimate reality, day by day by the power of the Holy Spirit. Praying this all in Jesus' name, Amen. amen.